This is the fallen angel Christopher Daniels along with the heavy metal rebel Frankie Kazarian and the violent delight Scorpio Sky. Collectively known as SoCal Uncensored or SCU. And this is the worst podcast I've ever been on. That's Cassio's cut, y'all. Want to hear more of Cassio in between podcast episodes? You can listen to the Jimbo and Cassio Morning Show live 6 to 10 a.m. Central on therocket951.com. Jimbo, we've got breaking news. Um, this is the second day of Space Command in Huntsville, Alabama. That's right. And we just got a memo that the new launch sequence protocols have changed. The old verbiage to the following, three, two, one. Hey, y'all watch this. <laughs> <laughs> is that the new uh, official Space yes. Command verbiage? Yes, if you'd like to retweet that memo, uh, yeah, I retweeted <laughs> it. Uh, I tweeted it from uh, my Twitter. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I was a creeper on you. <laughs> I was a creeper. I uh, just wasn't ready for it. I, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I tweeted that out. If you want to retweet it, I'll retweet it from the rocket as well. So you know who lo- <laughs> I hope Luther Green's listening because he would love that. <laughs> he would love that they changed it to three, two, yeah. one. Hey, y'all, watch this. Listen live online or download the Rocket app for your tablet or smartphone. Just search WRTT Rocket ninety five point one in the Apple or Google Play Store. What's up, Candy Lickers? Pleased to meet you. Nice to know me. What you doing? You're listening to another edition of Cassio's Cut. joined today by a very special guest. It's my first guest that is not only a one-time Olympian, two-time Olympian, three-time Olympian, Mr. John Nunn. What's up, my man? Hey, Castillo. Good to be here. Thanks for having me on. All right. I don't know where to get into this. You are a, <laughs> a Olympic race walker. I am. Yes. Used uh, to be. Not doing it anymore. You, but reti- are you officially retired? I never submitted my paperwork for it, but uh, I I called myself retired a couple of years ago, so it's good. No more walking. All right, so no more walking. Do you retire walking. from walking? Do you just get skates from everywhere and just like I'm I never do. walking yeah. again or what? It's these honorary skates they give you as you leave. They're like, there you go. You don't have to walk anymore. So. Some people get a watch when they retire. Power walkers mm-hmm. get now. Uh, skates. We got, we got to talk about how you get into it. You are, uh, and I've read a little bit about it, but I'll let you tell a lot of it. You uh, you start off in track and field. You're a, a distance runner? I was, yeah, in high school. Went to high school in southern Indiana, uh, ran cross country and track, and did did fine. I mean, I, I won meets here and there and, and excelled at it, but didn't trying to get into college for it and uh, wasn't getting many offers for running and then ran a cross-country race up in Wisconsin and uh, found out they had a race walking team and my dad thought it was so cool 
And so he was like, let's go talk to the coach. And I remember at the time I was like, this has got to be the dumbest thing I've ever heard of. And uh, <laughs> went and talked to, talked to the coach. And, uh, and he was like, uh, what are your running times? And I told him and he said, well, I'll give you full tuition if you want to come race walk for me. And I was like, you got to be kidding me. It was Just that die. easy. Yeah. And so at first I was like, no, I'm good, sir. Thank you. And uh, I went home and thought about it and then realized this was free college and I could see where we go from there and figured it at least would pay for my school and I could move on and do other things and never thought it would get me where it did. Until then, until you got a scholarship offer, you had zero concept of race walking. No, I think my parents, when I was super little, we lived in Colorado and they race walked for some reason. I'm not sure why or how they got into it, but I remember being little and them doing it and being like, this is again, just the dumbest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> like, why would you not just run? And, uh, and so I think that's what enticed my dad when he found out they had walking at this college, it was division two school. And he was like, they're literally going to give you race walking scholarships. This is cool. And I was like, yeah, no, no. So see, I have the opposite mentality. I'm like, why are we running? Let's just walk. Yeah. <laughs> I, I agree until, until you realize the distances you have to walk for races and you're like, no, 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 I, I'll, I'll run. Thanks though. <laughs> so. All right. So how now you, you talk about how silly it looks. If you've ever, and if, if anybody's watching or listening, just go, if you haven't seen it in the Olympics, go to go watch videos. I, I mean, there's a lot of comparison to the mall walkers, the old people at the mall getting their power walk on. <laughs> What's the official rules. You got to be on the ground. Yeah, so there's two rules. One rule is um, one foot on the ground at all times. As soon okay. as the foot hits the ground, the next rule pretty much comes into play, and that is the leg must be straight uh, once it's vertically underneath your body. And the easiest way for that to happen is you land with a straight leg and carry it the whole way through. And then you can bend your knee to pull through to, to put it back on. But um, the reason why the, the mall walking comes in and the weird hips is physics comes into play. When you run, your femur bone is going underneath the hip socket because uh, you're landing with a bent knee and it's, it's the path of least resistance. But when okay. you race walk, you're landing with a straight leg and your femur uh, with your tibia and fibia are, are now straight and the path of least resistance is to go around the hip socket. So the femur kind of rolls around the socket versus going underneath it. And because uh, so otherwise it would oh, go you're ahead. You're actually moving your hips on purpose a certain way. Yeah. And, and honestly, the hips, I mean, you're not actively trying to move your hips. It's, it's basically just your body kind of doing it. Once you start landing okay. with a straight leg, it's trying to find, again, the path of least resistance. And, and that happens to be to roll it around versus roll it underneath. So, so you, you go to college on a, are you on a race walking scholarship? And I mean, are you jumping right in and having success? What's happening? No. I mean, how big is this group? How big is your team? What are we doing? So there were, uh, it was in Kenosha, Wisconsin. And there were, how many guys do we have on our team? I don't know, six or seven, maybe. Okay. And I remember we went down to Indianapolis and did a 5k and the guys gave me a crash course on how to race walk before the race. And the race started and they took off and just destroyed the whole field. <laughs> this and, and, and there were 80 year old guys beating me and walking. And I was like, I was not even good enough to be like on the mall walking team. I was just like, 
I quit. I quit. I'm not. This is the again, just the dumbest thing. I'm not going to do this. <laughs> not only am not, I not good at it yet, I, I look funny doing it. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I don't. I'm not fast. I I suck. Everyone's laughing at me, and those who are laughing, I still can't beat them. So <laughs> now it's just like insult to injury, and I was just like, forget it. So, but I went back and realized, like, I still had a scholarship I'd signed for, and and it took time. It took probably six, seven months of, of long, hard training um, to, to really get it down. And, and I would work, uh, the coach had a rule that as long as it wasn't negative 20 out with wind chill, oh. we had to go outside. So How nice I would go out and yeah, walk like 10 <laughs> or 15 miles on and just freezing. Like my mask would be frozen in my face when I get done. And you'd stand in the shower for 40 minutes just to try to thaw out. And when do you start having success? Um, later. So let's see, that was, that was in the fall of 1996. And then by the summer of 1997, I won junior nationals and, wow. uh, made it to the junior Pan Am games was in Havana, Cuba that year, which is pretty cool. So yeah. I got to go down to Cuba and, and experience like the, the old world communism and how it was prior to it being somewhat opened up for us like it is now. That's wild. So, That's fast success in basically one year, right? Yeah. And I think that the coach, everyone's like, well, the coach definitely saw something in you. And, and I think what he really saw was just that I, my fastest mile in high school was a 434 mile. And Jeez. so I could run fast, but I think he was just throwing the dice and gambling. Like, could he, could, could we turn a distance runner into a walker? They already have the distance, the endurance aspect of things. If we can just teach them the form we'll see where it can go. And, and he was pretty successful at it, but is that, so I is, think, the, yeah, go ahead. Go, no, go ahead. The hardest part, I think for any coach or anyone trying to do that is convince someone to actually get into race walking because running's kind of an outlier sport a little bit. It's not so much anymore, but in the beginning, and, and now you're asking people to leave that and go to even this more absolute rejected event that no one wants. <laughs> So you don't, you don't get a whole lot of bites on it. So <laughs> so we're going to the Pan Am game, we're, Cuba. Uh, yeah. This has to be mind blowing for, you know, a college kid of what am I doing here? Am I race walking in Cuba? Yeah, it was, I was, I was 19 and uh, the stadium was packed. There were, um, they told us what we would do if Fidel Castro came to the stadium. He never did. <laughs> But they were like, if, if he comes, here's how we're going to handle things. And um, everyone was trading Cuban cigars down there. Like, <laughs> there's no question I'm incriminating a team from like 20 years ago. But we flew back through customs. I remember this now in uh, the Bahamas. They sent us through customs. And um, we went through customs and they just grabbed bags and put it right back on the plane. And when we got on the plane, I looked around and saw all these early like freshman college kids everyone's holding up these massive boxes of Cohibas and everything. And I was just like, they're all literally, I mean, I mean this year, like there's thousands of cigars in these bags from people. That was the and, influx into our country. Is your oh team. yeah. Yeah. It was that team in 97, just Cuban cigars. Did you take anything back? Uh, no, <laughs> no. <laughs> If you were to take anything back, would it have been cigars or something else? It, it might have. It might have been some Cohibas. Okay, yeah, nicely done. Sure. 
So. Did you hit those on a special occasion or? Uh... No, I don't. I don't smoke, so I just came Still back and them? gave them. To, um, no, I ended up giving. I mean, the tobacco now, twenty years would be. <laughs> I guess for a memento, but. Shadow them away. <laughs> I know. I just gave them away to people. That's super so. cool. So we're going to the Pan Am Games. Uh, are you having instant success there? I mean, how fast is this starting to go? What Wait a minute. I... Is this actually Olympic stuff? Well, I did. I'm trying to think. I think I got fifth, fifth there. I don't remember. Uh, that's that was that's only how a, long? How long were we? That was a 10K on the junior level. And, and so that was 6.2 like, miles on okay. the track, 25 laps around the track. Jeez. And so um, did that and was okay. And then after I got done with that, um, I was born and raised Mormon. And so I served a two-year mission in, and all my friends went foreign and picked up a new language and got all these cultures. And uh, they tell you where you're going to go. And I opened my letter and I got sent to Las Vegas, English speaking. <laughs> And I was like, you gotta be kidding me. Come on. So you're what, 20, 21? Yeah, so I was I was 20 at that point. I was getting to Vegas sent to Vegas. Vegas for two years. And it was just like people were like, oh, we're gonna save the sinners. And you're like, no, you're not. Everyone <laughs> comes here to gamble. They don't want to listen to you. Wait, so wait, wait, I gotta I gotta talk. This is sad. Oh, goodness. This is awesome. So like, what is your requirement? Are you, are you standing on the street barking at people? Are you, nah, I mean, you, I guess you can, we would go door to door. So oh. it's like the, the, the worst part is everyone talks about, they don't want to talk about politics or religion. And now you're literally putting yourself in a situation where you're forcing someone to talk to you about religion at their front let alone at their own house. Yeah. Let alone like an, an outlying religion. That people think you're weird anyway. And so then you're just like, what am I doing? Oh, I've, so, I've now imagined you knocking on the door. It's getting slammed in your face. And now you're power walking down to the next house. That's yeah, what I, yeah. Are you practicing or is that out of your life then? <laughs> no. So, so I, I still kept up. I found myself getting like, honestly, getting a little depressed on my mission. It just wasn't because you can be skiing on the slopes and, and, and surfing one day and the very next day you're you're now rolling forward with a mission mm -hmm. and so i fortunately you're with a companion you're told you got to be with them 24 hours a day you do uh, strict things no watching tv no dating no reading other things except for church literature and then you um you just study and then you go out and talk to people and so fortunately uh, our mission president realized I was frustrated and got me companions that would work out. So I would get up extra early and sometimes they just sleep on at the track or sleep somewhere. And, and I would just work out by them. And I knew and that was part there. of the drill but, though, going in. Yeah. And as time went on over the next, over the two years, some of the, some of the guys started putting on weight on their mission and, and they were looking for ways to start losing their weight. And so they started asking, could they be my companion? Cause they knew that like, we're getting up at five and we're going to go for an hour somewhere. How and are you so, putting on weight? I feel like y'all walking everywhere. We were. Yeah. But you'd be surprised. There's some, there's some very big missionaries. That, is it cause you do, is it cause like you said, you're going back and nothing really to do besides study. So you're just kind of. Well, so that, and, and two, uh, like in Vegas, the, the Mormon church is pretty populated in Vegas and, and mostly out here in the West. And um, so 
you'd go to, to the uh, church on Sundays and they'd have a dinner calendar and it would get passed around from the members. And so every day you'd go to uh, dinner appointments with the members. Oh, and yeah. if it's like they'd be wealthier areas half the time and people would be like, well, what do you want? And someone would go, well, I really like filet mignon. And so all of a sudden you'd have like filet mignon for six days straight. And you're just like, no, this is ridiculous. So, There's your sales pitch. That's what their sales pitch needs to be. Yeah. yeah you want to exactly. eat flaming yawn six days a week? We'll send you to Vegas. Come, come on a mission. So, come on a mission. <laughs> I was like, no. I ended up, I lasted. I made it the whole two years and, and finished so then, it out. Do you immediately go, I have to get back in racing? I did, yeah. I Part of me was, I... I think everyone who's older would, would admit this, that when you're young, you never think you're going to get old. You just don't. When you're, when you're 21, 22 and you see someone who's 35 or 40, you're like, man, number one, that's ancient. And two, I got a whole lifetime before I ever hit that. And so I was really curious if I could make an Olympic team. And so I came home off my mission and I moved in with uh, a coach in New Jersey and I started uh, just training full time. And, uh, I uh, lived in one of his spare bedrooms and he coached me and um, I started dating my, my ex-wife at the time while I was there and um, made the Olympic trials for 2000 and finished sixth, I think at Olympic trials after being, I had gotten off my mission like seven months before then. And so it wasn't too bad of a turnaround, but I was like, okay, let's really give this four years and see where we go. How are you, um, how are you training for walking? Is it, are you, I'm, I know you got to be in shape and you're, you're talking about working out even when you weren't racing, but I mean, do you, did you have, <laughs> Hey, we got a strict eating regimen. Are we walking the full distance every single day? What, what's happens there? So it's a lot like the same training schedule, uh, an elite distance runner would do. So we have some days that are distance days. Some days are speed work days. Some days are interval training. Some days are, are more of a rest day where you're just going out for an easy, five to 10 miles at a slow, slow pace. Um, it helps to understand that the two Olympic distances that I was training for uh, were in kilometers at 20 kilometers and 50 kilometers. So it was 12 and a half miles and 31 miles was our other Jeez. race. And so you'd go out and your long days, your long distance days would be 20 miles, literally. And so you'd hold usually about eight minutes a mile pace walking. Wow. Uh, and hold that for the, the 20 miles. And then other times you do speed work and you'd get down around, I don't know, six flat to 540 per mile pace in your speed Walking. workouts. Walking. Yeah. Oof. Mine's a little slower. Yeah. I hadn't timed it lately, but uh, <laughs> I'll walk a mile. It's a lot slower than six. Right? Most, most are. And so that's where like, as time went on, everyone would always make fun of the sport I was doing. And, and I was just, there's some race walkers who get very angry and very bitter about how dare you make fun of our sport and everything. And I'm like, come on, man, for real. Like it's a funny looking event. Yeah. And two, it, it paved a way for me to literally travel the entire world. And I made multiple Olympic teams and, and still beat all these people running. Like we jump in and do marathons, the rock and roll marathons. And I would come in in a marathon I came in the top 4% of the field every time walking. Wow. So I'd walk, I'd walk the marathon right around three hours and 20 minutes. 
and Good most people were four to five hours would it be so so, so it's pretty it's pretty wild are you are you are your headphones guy you can't do headphones at the olympics or races right no you can't and so like now that i've retired like i wear headphones and work out and i'm all the time but when i was training i'd never wear headphones because you had to learn how to how to kind of deal with the demons in your head on your own in the idea of of constantly like being exhausted and wanting to quit and typically music can help pump you up and keep you yeah. moving or listening to an audiobook you forget about what you're physically doing and you're paying attention to what's being read to you and but um in the olympics you can't have the, the listening devices so i just i i learned to just suck it up and you'd be out there just fighting your head so is oh four is your first olympics Oh, four was the first one, and I did uh, twenty kilometers. That one, it was in Athens. Uh, so, so an hour and a half for basically for uh, twenty kilometers, and you're just you're just in your silence. You are, and so in races, it's a little easier because you're watching your splits. Because we go to like a two-kilometer loop, and so you're doing like nine to ten laps on the loop. Um, in Athens, we started in the stadium walked out to a loop, did nine laps, and then came back and finished in the stadium. And uh, you're watching your splits constantly because you know whether you're on pace or not. Um, you know if you went out too hard, if you didn't go out hard enough, you're looking at your heart rate. So there's enough things in a race that you're paying attention to. It's more just the monotonous long-distance workouts that start to take a grind on you. Is there? So. Is it like other racing? Is there drafting and speed walking? Um. Not yeah really. yeah no, no no i would I would say there is because it, more so in the 50k than in the 20k in the okay. 50k you've got 25 laps on a two kilometer loop or that's the equivalent of 125 laps on a track and um and so you find just like how ducks fly or, or birds fly those guys in the front are working harder versus those in the back and so if um typically you get a group and you guys rotate every lap the guys in the front will kind of fall back to the back and the guys right behind them will move up to the front and so you kind of rotate through this and eventually it's just an un kind of an unwritten rule eventually guys will start falling off and usually in a 50k by about 30 to 35k you're down to a couple people and it's starting to become more of everyone's for themselves like you're done being nice to each other and helping each other out. <laughs> now I just want to beat you, but you're just exhausted. You're like zombies out there walking half the time. And you're just like, I really want to beat you, but I don't even know if I can finish. Is there, so, is there, I'm sure not at the end, but is there trash talking out there? Is it a quiet deal? Um, are people going past it on the left? Are we doing any talking? No, 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 no. There's not a lot of talking. There's some talking in the beginning for like in a 50 K the first 25 kilometers you might be talking about a lot of different things because basically you're just trying to burn the road and burn the clock down to where you get about halfway through. And then the race starts getting serious. So you'll talk about a bunch of different stuff in the first half about with competitors, what, with competitors. Um, and that's not always the case. Sometimes it's it, if, if one, if you don't speak the language, you're in a foreign country, you're probably not going to be talking much at all. Right. You'll just be hanging right next to them. Um, but everyone there's, there's a sponge table and a drink table. And if it's super hot, um, they'll dip these sponges in water and set them out on a table. And if you're on the inside, you got an easy track to grab a sponge and then you're, you're dunking them on your head and, and on your chest and stuff, trying to cool yourself off while you're racing. Um, and typically whoever's on the inside will, will use what they need. And then they'll hand it to the person who's on the outside of them, 
who didn't get a chance okay. to get a sponge. So you don't so ever go, hey, man, let me sponge. over. I'm going to need one of these sponges. You need to get out of the way. Sometimes, I mean, you can fight your way over there if you want, but everyone also knows that it's a long race, and that's a lot of wasted energy just to get a sponge. Right. Like, just Are just you drinking be nice every people. stop? You're drinking every every lap, every every two kilometers for the most part you're drinking. You're just crushing so, and going. Yeah. So. And so, so you're out there on the track. Your first Olympics is Athens. Uh, you got to say, what's Athens like? What was that whole experience like, your first Olympics, man? Athens was fun. I mean, that was it's crazy to think that was almost 20 years ago now. Um, it was a neat experience. I remember thinking that when I got to the Olympics, there were going to be like these half man, half machine, Robocop looking people that I was going to race against. <laughs> like, I got to get there and, and I'm just going to get destroyed. And then I remember getting there, warming up and getting out on the track. And I looked around and these were all the same people I had raced the last two years around the world. It was just, we were now at the Olympics and everyone was paying attention. And at that point was standing on the starting line. I started to realize like, oh, I know who's in the favor to win. And I know about where I'll probably finish and all. Um, but it was, it was a neat experience. Uh, family got to be there and people got to see it and made for a, a for a really fun time how's so. that uh how's that moment walking out did you get to, to get to do the well walking out but walking yeah. out on the on the opening ceremony are you with the team that's that's fun it's um the first time i did it really anticlimactic like here uh you it's going to be really cool and then you get there and you come out of the stadium and you got eighty thousand people screaming and cheering and then Again, maybe it's because I, I walked for a living at the time, but then you just keep walking and you walk all the way. It's all parade athletes. and You're just walking and walking. And you're supposed to keep waving flags and cheering. And, and eventually you're just like, okay, I'm done. I'm done. So you kind of find your way into the inside and then hang out. What's crazier, uh, Vegas or an Olympic village? Ooh, that's a tough call. Because... <laughs> Because people I let loose they, after their events over, right? They do, and I and I think what the whole like what's what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas is yeah. probably pretty true for the village as well. What happens in the village stays in the village. So it's at so, least close. Yeah, I in some cases I know for me. So you'd have to interview a swimmer to get the real story because uh, the Olympics is two weeks long. The swimmers go uh, the first week and the track and field goes the second week. And um, the 50K was typically usually the day before closing ceremonies or two days before. Oh. So so I'm training the whole time through the Olympics. you got to be good the whole time. Yeah. So I remember in London in 20, I didn't make 28, 20 or 2008, um, but came back and made 2012 in London. And London was just incredible. But I remember I'd go hang out with my daughter because she came over and then I'd head back to the village at like 830 at night because I had practice the next morning. And as I was heading back in, all the swimmers were in club wear and they were heading out to jump in cabs <laughs> to go to all the nightclubs. And I was just you see all the track athletes kind of like hanging on the fence, just wishing like, why couldn't we ever go first? One year. Let us so, go. Yeah. It'll, it'll never happen. Why so, will it never happen? I have no, I, I have no it's idea. It's just ingrained just, now. It, it is. I just remember in, in London. So the opening ceremonies are always on a Friday 
and the closing ceremonies are two Sundays later. So there are, I guess, three Sundays later. They're two weeks worth later. And I remember we had opening ceremonies Friday and then Monday morning. So three days later, I was just still in my training phase for, I, I mean, I didn't race for another two weeks and I was standing outside my, my kind of like building in the village and there was a female uh, American swimmer. And I was like, hey, and, and everyone wants to meet each other and you just start talking. And I said, so how are things? She goes, good, good. I was like, so when do you compete? She goes, oh, I was on a relay team. And I was like, well, when was the relay? And she goes, um, we competed yesterday. And I was like, cool, how'd you do? And she goes, oh, we got silver. And I was like, well, congratulations, that's great. So like, what's next? And she goes, oh, no, no, no I'm done. And I just remember thinking, we literally just started the Olympic games. How are you done? She gets to and, chill the whole time. Yeah. And then she told me, I remember she goes, I said, so did your family come over? She goes, yeah. And she goes, and I have a boyfriend and he came over and I go, oh, cool. Are you guys going to go like hang out and do stuff? For, and she goes, no, he went back to the States. I, uh, my parents are gone and I'm going to stay around here for a little while. And it was like this unwritten of like, yeah, I know exactly what you're going to do. <laughs> Whatever happens in the village stays in the village now for you for the next two weeks. This is ridiculous. So I, so I was so annoyed. I remember just going back in my room and just sitting down being like, I got to go walk in the morning. I'm yeah, like, how, how am I angry? I'm at the Olympics and I'm angry. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, you need stupid. to join a walking relay team, bro. That's what yeah, you need to do. Exactly. Get a medal well, and be done. Uh, as a fat guy myself, far from an Olympian, what are you, what are you eating while you're training at the Olympic village? Are you, I mean, are you carb loading? Are you cutting weight? What are you doing? No, you try to. So that is one thing I will give the Olympics is they try very hard to, uh, when you walk into the cafeteria, it's this giant tent and there's, there's food cuisine from all over the world. And, and some of the biggest ideas, which I think has a lot of validity to it, is that it, it allows people to stay on the diets they were taking prior to showing up there. So even though you're in... Well, even though you're in Athens, Greece, you're not going to get stuck eating Greek food for two weeks, trying yeah. to train and race when your stomach's probably not going to handle it very well. And so um, it was cool. The nice thing was the, because I raced the second week, the first week I could like tour the world culinary wise, I would just oh. go stop to stop for um, deciding what I was going to eat and where for, nice. for that time. Um, but the food was always, was pretty good except for uh, Rio. Rio was a mess in 2016. <laughs> was a mess. That was so uh, apparently shortly before we got down there, I guess they were in some massive turmoil. They were looking to impeach their president. Um, there was the whole Zika virus thing that was going on. Oh, yeah. They didn't, they didn't have money. Um, this is some inside stuff that I found out when I got down there. So they had built all these apartment buildings. That's usually what um, the village is. And then they just fence it off. For the Olympics period. Well, they had built all these buildings and then the workers weren't getting paid prior to the Olympics. And so they were demanding that they get paid. And when um, the Olympic committee for Rio or the government, whoever said they were going to pay, didn't have the money to pay, these guys walked off the job. But before they walked off the job, they took concrete and poured it down the drains in these apartments. And so the U.S., <laughs> brought in their own 
like general contractors and construction guys flew them down and they had to go like floor by floor in our building because it was like a was it 16 stories I think was our building we were in and they had to um they would pour water and listen for where it stopped and then bang in the walls and replace the pipes and take out the the cement and so there was raw sewage backing up in some of the toilets there was I mean and then the food they couldn't pay the vendors so all of a sudden they just found like I mean it was cafeteria style food that you would get like cut rate prices just whatever you could find and so I found myself going like gluten-free and vegan while I was down there because that food tastes better than the meat and the other things they had. And, <laughs> and a week before my race, I got food poisoning and was just out. They had to put me on antibiotics and I was down for like two days and I was like, well, this is not good. I literally have to walk 31 miles in a week. And, but I wasn't the only one. The doc was like, yeah, we're seeing a lot of this. So who, who, was not who, who's supposed to pay for that the country or the olympic committee or what uh the country and the local organizing committee okay. so the local organizing committee puts up and then um the the international olympic committee is an interesting group of interesting dichotomy that i always looked at it as they come in and i don't even remember from the simpson movie that dome that they put over <laughs> yeah. springfield yeah. I always envision like the Olympics like that, like the International Olympic Committee comes in and just puts this dome over whatever city that they've now selected it, and that everyone's supposed to be all like prestigious of we've selected you to host the Olympics. And then when the Olympics is over, that dome gets removed and the city and the government is left to deal with all the filth and the trash and the, the upkeep of stadiums and the like they golfing is not big in brazil but um they could not there were stacks of golf tickets in the athlete village in in the u.s um sitting in the there was kind of like an athlete lounge and there were stacks of golf tickets that anyone could just go grab the golf tickets and go watch bubba watson and the other guys play um no one wanted to watch golf in brazil so they built this golf course strictly for the golf in the olympics and then when the games ended, the golf course was was completely ran down and destroyed. I remember leaving the village to fly out of Rio de Janeiro and the, the, the scaffolding stuff that was on the sides of buildings was already being ripped down by people. Wow. Like it was just being shuttered. And I was just like, yeah, this is how it works. They come in for two weeks, the whole world watches one city. And then when it's over, the IOC lifts up their dome and takes all their money and goes away. And the city's left to try to figure out how we're going to manage all this and what can we use these, these places for. So as an outsider, you really don't know, uh, you know, speaking for myself, you, I mean, you see the IOC and quote unquote scandals and every now and then an ESPN story or run, but you kind of, I think as the fa casual fan, you don't, I mean, I had no idea what they do. They're just putting on the Olympics, you know? And, mm -hmm. and so you've, you've seen it from that inside and, and what's left and what they're really actually doing. And I'm sure it's probably a, an amazing, I guess, story to tell there for the IOC and what actually is going on. It was, it was definitely interesting. Uh, and, it, and I found the first Olympic games, London or Athens, I was so awestruck. Like I had worked so hard to get there. I made it. 
um, I didn't care what was going on. Like this was my Olympics and I was going to live it up. And then um, most people don't get the opportunity to make three Olympic teams. And I was fortunate enough, but by the third Olympic games, I was so jaded at what was going on that I was like, ah, this is just ridiculous. I mean, they're, they're, they're using the athletes to make millions, if not billions off of the athletes, but yet the athletes can't advertise their own personal sponsorship. They can't, um, they, the, no athletes getting paid to be there. And then everyone turns around and goes, well, you're representing your country. And I'm like, well, that's fine. But the IOC and the U.S. Olympic Committee and others are making millions off of this with, invest, with endorsements, with, uh, with TV rights, with everything else. And the people who are, are the show ponies are all the athletes and you're not paying them. You're just telling them, well, now you got your medal. And then if any of the athletes speak up, the answer is, well, now you're being un-American uh, and unpatriotic because you shouldn't be worried about money. You should be representing your country. But those who are telling us that are getting paid six figures a year to work for these companies, for the IOC, for the U.S. Olympic Committee. And they're being paid to be down at the Olympics, wherever it's at, to then ensure we keep the rules. Mm. And I was just like interesting so <laughs> the, I, by the end i was like it's probably time for me to move on this isn't gonna <laughs> this isn't gonna go well but you've I seen did, the man I, behind the curtain basically yeah 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 yeah, yeah. <laughs> i i made it i made it to oz and i was like yeah this is not <laughs> good <laughs> so but there were some I, I i thought for a while afterwards like what did i i i mean was this really worth it was this worth like 17 years of your life and um, the biggest, biggest thing I realized was I, I have great memories. I got to see the world. Um, I uh, was paid to do it and, and I made great friends. It was cool with family and stuff. So fun uh, experiences. You're also, you're also military. When did, when did you start doing military in the middle of all this? So I joined the military in 2001. The okay. Army has a, a program called the World Class Athlete Program. It was established in the early 90s, I guess, by an act of Congress. They decided to give, they wanted military personnel to have the same opportunity to make Olympic teams as their civilian counterparts. And the Army was really the only branch that jumped on it and said, hey, we're in. And so they formed a full unit with a commander and a first sergeant. And it's, it's not, there are some units that Soldiers, like you never want to hand off your, your deadbeats to the next unit. You want to try to fix them and make them better. Um, but it, it's definitely to be in the world-class athlete program was a privilege. Like you're a soldier first. And if asked to go do soldier um, endeavors, you would leave and go do that. But if you, yeah, um, I mean, if you said dumb things to the media that didn't represent the army well, if you, if you uh, got in a fight out on the course or any of those things, there's a lot of little things that the army will just say, listen, man, this, this is not your place anymore. And we're going to send you to a, a regular unit and we're going to have you just do your, whatever your army job was. And uh, so I learned that real quick. And I thought, as long as I keep hitting my benchmarks, I hit the goals that they've set for me. I keep being a good ambassador. Um, we'll see where this goes. And uh 17 years later, it, I finally was like, I think it's probably time to step out. So on the flip side of the coin, they were very helpful and, and 
uh, in your career, <laughs> I guess. Oh, immensely. Compared to the IOC, they're actually doing things to help you. Oh, definitely. The the yeah. Army is a wonderful organization. And and there was something to be said that, um, I mean, it wasn't just, I had a lot of friends that have shoe contracts with Nike and Adidas and all these other companies. And, and you're just an entity to them that if you're not performing, you're out. The yeah. Army is, is not that way. Like, you have a backing of millions of people who are proud to see you. So, so the idea of those guys throw on a Nike singlet and, and they know that they're representing Nike. It was, it was really empowering at times to throw on a, a singlet and you had army emblazoned across your chest True. and everywhere you went, people would be screaming, go army, go army. And so you realized like it was, it was a lot more powerful and, and you had a whole lot more support than, than these other guys. And if athletics wasn't for you or you reached the end of your career, like the army has 200 plus jobs you can choose from. So it's not that it's the end of the world for you and you're trying to figure out what am I going to do with my life? Like, so you go be a soldier, like you're trained to be and, and keep moving forward. So I feel like you're recruiting me right now. I feel like I need some, (laughs) You're about to go look. We'll give you these army socks if you just sign yeah. right here. <laughs> yeah, you're a big guy. You could do shot put, shot put or discus. Yeah, that's what in. I need to take care of you. All right, let me ask you this: yeah. what what happens? What happens to your body during and after a 50k? <laughs> Are you? Because here's all I know: I know if you race, your nipples bleed. Are your nipples bleeding? Mm-hmm. No, mine don't. Like sometimes I would throw <laughs> bandages over them. Okay. Yeah, yeah, and they they started to get strong because they realized they weren't gonna. <laughs> they started to get strong. Yeah, I worked I worked my nipples out. So, <laughs> so, um, there's a couple a couple situations that were were crazy traumatic to me. Um, one was I I'd been really sick before, um the 2013 world championships for track and field was in Moscow in Russia. And we were doing a training camp in Linz, Austria for two weeks beforehand. Well, I was in San Diego training at the time and I got really sick, massive head congestion, body aches, but I still had to catch a flight and I had to get to Austria so I could be part of the train camp. And um, so they put me on, I took prednisone, uh, an oral steroid, and that Mm -hmm. helped clear things up. But you can't be on something like that while you're racing. If you get drug tested, you now will become positive for. Oh. So I had like, I had to get off of it like 14 days or 20 days before. I can't remember what we had decided. Um, I was still had some of the residual effects from being sick. Well, I flew to Austria and I started training. I started training way too hard. So I get to moscow and a couple days before the race i just was like man i feel tired but we'll just rest a couple days and we'll be at this and ready to go the race starts and it was 80 degrees with massive humidity and there was the river right by where we were racing and it was at black asphalt so you got heat pounding down from above and the asphalt's heating up so now it's heating up your legs too and um i got to 23 kilometers of the 50k and i started cramping and uh, I thought, well, this is odd. I'll never cramp this early. Back off for a couple of minutes, calm it down, and we'll get rolling again. And uh, I tried to back off, and cramping started coming more. And I started cramping in my jaw, in my elbow joints, oh, no. behind my knees. And I was like, uh, and I remember thinking, like, okay, the Army, this is where the Army comes in. They're backing you. And I was like, well, I'm not going to just quit. 
And so I'm death marching. I finally finished the 50K. And when I finished, I locked up completely. They had to put me on a stretcher. They cut my uniform off. They IV'd me under the stadium for like two hours. They put me in a wheelchair afterwards and wheeled me to a bus. I got back to the hotel and I just laid in bed. And the next day I remember literally feeling like a garbage truck had just ran back and forth over me. Like every part of my body was hurting. And uh, so that one was frustrating. And then two years later- What place did you finish? Do you remember? Um, so I was the last finisher of that okay. race. So you were like bad. However, there were like 80 some odd people in the race and almost 40 of them had already dropped out. Oh. And I, so I was, the, so if you say how many started and out of everyone who started, what place were you? I was, I think I was like 43rd, 45th out of like so 80 some half the odd. fields already dropped out. Half the field was finish. gone. Jeez. Yeah, they just were like, screw this and just walked away um, or crawled away. I don't think at that point they could even walk. But um, two years later, we were in uh, Beijing, China and um, for world championships. And the race was going great. And I got down to the last 10K of the race and things I didn't lock up, but I started really fatiguing. And I always took five hour energy and I would sip a little bit of it. And uh, I, uh, in the last 50 minutes of that race, I took five full bottles of five-hour energy. <laughs> and and because every lap I come through, I'd be like, I'm dying. I need more energy. And so I just take it and I take it and I take it. And, and I finished much better there. I can't remember what I finished. But um, I remember my daughter was with me over there. And um, – I remember getting back to the hotel and I got to the training room and I just started crying like uncontrollably. I couldn't stop. And the trainers are like rubbing my back. And one of the sprinters, she came in and she was like, Hey, can I get some? And she stopped. And I remember she looked over and she goes, did John just finish the 50 K? And they were like, yeah. And she goes, Oh, I'll come back later. <laughs> and uh, and she just, she just left. She was like, no, 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 no. This is cause they all watch the races. Oh yeah, on TV, and they would see like, why would anyone do this? This is ridiculous. Um, <laughs> but uh, but I remember then I was so overdosed on caffeine. I would um, I tried to sleep, and I would sleep all through the night. I'd sleep for like thirty minutes, and I'd get up and go throw up, and I'd come back and sleep oh. for thirty minutes, and then go throw up. And it wasn't until I was I went to physician assistant school, and we were in class, and they were talking about. Um, the toxicity level of caffeine, that it's roughly between uh, 1.2 and 1.4 grams of caffeine. And as they're talking about this, I immediately started Googling how many grams of caffeine are in one five-hour bottle. Oh, gosh. And um, I used the extra strength bottles and it was, uh, I want to say it was like 240 milligrams. And since I had five, I was sitting at, at just over 1.2 grams of caffeine in my body within 50 minutes. And then, and the instructor's going through all the things that like, um, how deadly this can be. It can cause tachycardia. It can shut down your heart. It can like, you can go, it literally go into cardiac arrest. So basically. not only are you have all those symptoms, 
You're walking on top of it. You're right. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, I'm, and I, I remember I was getting mad. I was getting more and more mad because I was like, why can't I go faster? Because I'm just, <laughs> I keep downing all this five hour energy. And the next time I'd be like, give me another one. And I'd be screaming at my aid station guys. And they'd be like, okay. And it wasn't until like months later, I ran into one of the guys who handled my aid station. He was telling me, he goes, dude, I wasn't going to say it at that time, but I didn't think that was a good idea, what you were doing. <laughs> I was just like, yeah, but I wouldn't have listened to you anyway. Like, I would have just grabbed the bottles. You so. are like, I feel like now you got the sponge with the with the five-hour energy in it. You want it oh, everywhere yeah, now. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just soak it in my pores. So... <laughs> Wait, but do you think was, it did help you or did it hurt you ultimately? You think? Well, I think I think it got me through the race. Yeah. I think I was struggling. Well, good for your body, um, but it got you through the race. Oh, it was, it was awful. Com- uh, potentially catastrophic for my body. Like, <laughs> I just, because I remember sitting in the training room just crying, like tears pouring down my face. And I was like, I don't know why I'm crying. And I was just so, I was like this grown adult man just crying. And I was like, what happened to me? And they were like, you just had a rough race. But none of them had known that I had taken all of that. And it you know, wasn't until after. This is, so. it's on different levels, but you're kind of like the ultimate lazy guy. You want to walk everywhere. You're down <laughs> in five hour energy. <laughs> Meanwhile, we're doing the same thing, but we're just sitting on the couch. And yes, like, exactly. You got to take it to extreme force. Yeah. And then uh, uh, Rio Rio was okay. It was really hot. Um, same type of thing. A lot of guys struggled. I got through Rio. And then I remember um, going back in a car to the village. And I was like, I just want to take a shower and just get a massage and be done. And um, I was too tired to stand to take a pee in my bathroom. And so I sat down and I took a pee and I like grabbed the the towel rack and stuff and I'm standing up and I turn around to flush the toilet and all I did was just take a pee but I turn around and flush the toilet and before I flushed I look down the entire toilet bowl was red just covered red, red. I what? had been I I had rhabdomyolysis um I was uh I was peeing blood I had I had worked so hard in that 50k that I was getting muscle breakdown and uh it was now breaking down and processing through the kidneys on a small level oh, along sorry. with blood. And, uh, and so I, I took a picture because I knew that the medics or the, the docs that were down would want to see. And so I took a picture and I went down and I was like, Hey, I think I have a problem. And I showed the picture to the doc and he just smiles and he goes, peeing blood, aren't you? And I was like, I am. And he was like, yeah, well, why don't you hang out here with us for a little while? <laughs> we'll just watch you. <laughs> I was like, What's the recovery? That- Five hour energy? Yeah, no, I wish, huh? <laughs> I'd be like, I can do that. Um, what are you doing, IVs? What are you going to do? It was just it was just fluid. He was like, I want you to hang here. He goes, eventually, um, I just want to make sure every time you pee, I want to come in and look because I want to make sure the color should get lighter and lighter Oh yeah. Um, because your kidneys are, are functioning again and doing all right. And I was like, okay. And it, and it did, and things were fine. But I think that was like at the end of that one, I was like, you know what? I think I kind of want to be done with this. Like (laughs) I've had my uniform cut off. I've puked all night long from overdosing on caffeine. And now to I like the the icing on the cake is now I'm pissing blood. And I was like, yeah, this is 
I literally am just walking. Like it's not I think like that's the death. number one life rule. If you start being blood, you got to quit whatever yeah. you're doing. Yeah, it's you probably a good idea. <laughs> it's time to so, shut it down. Yes. So at that point, I I was like, I'm out. And then the army, I um, the secretary of the army came down to uh oh. to Rio as a uh, part of the closing ceremony delegation. And at that point, here I was. I was like 30 eight at the time and I remember just thinking I'd lived enough life that I I wasn't uncomfortable talking to someone in a higher level position anymore and so they introduced us to us they had all the army guys who had made the Olympic team come see him and and we were talking and finally I was like you know what forget it I'll just ask and so I went up and I was like hey sir I I want to apply to the army's physician assistant program would you be willing to write me a letter of recommendation and he just looked at me and smiled and he goes I'd be honored it'd be great Wow. And I was like, no way. So he wrote me a letter and that definitely helped me. And I um, got into uh, the PA program that the army had. And, uh, and I guess at that point kind of hung up the race walking shoes and was like, let's move on. So, so I got to ask, we, we, I got to circle back to two things. One yeah. in here somewhere, I guess it was 2012. Is this where all the stories of you're baking cookies coming in. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. So, um, <laughs> my daughter, uh, unfortunately, her mom and I didn't last. Uh, Ella was two and a half or so when her mom and I got a divorce, and I found that. Um, I mean, I a divorce is not something I would wish on anyone. It's. I mean, no one ever gets married with the anticipations they're going to get a divorce. Right. And and so it's 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 crushing for every party, whether you're right or wrong or or whatever the reasons were, there's two sides to every story and both sides are, are handling it in their own ways, but it's, it's crushing to both sides. And so I found that I really enjoyed cooking because if I would go spend a lot of money on an expensive piece of meat and I got too preoccupied worrying about what was happening with the divorce, I would ruin the meat and it was a waste of money. And so cooking forced me to ignore what was happening in my life and I could plan and make these massive meals. So I, I learned how to cook and I cook these massive meals and then I invite 10 or 15 people over and we just have a big friendly dinner and pass the bowls. And um, Ella was little and kept wanting to help, but she couldn't be around the stove. And so I realized baking was probably a better route for her. So we would do cakes and she would decorate them and it just kind of went on and on. And eventually she wanted to try cookies we tried them and, and I'm, it was probably the competitive side of me. I remember thinking um, after I had some cookies from the recipes I saw, I was like, these are awful. I'm pretty sure I can do better. And so in my free time, I just started like experimenting and trying to make my own recipes. And then people started being like, these are really good. I want to buy them from you. And I was like, listen, one, I race walk. People already make fun of me. Like, I'm not going to start selling cookies on the side. Like, the, the man, the, my manhood needs to stay intact in some portion. He's a walker. And, uh, He's a baker. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and so um, I didn't, I, I would just, people would be like, hey, we're all getting together. Can you make some cookies and bring them? And I was like, sure. So I would bring cookies. And then um, people started giving me like $20 handshakes and $50 handshakes. Hey, man, thanks for the cookies. I appreciate it. And I was like, man, you don't need to pay for this. No, no, no. no. We would have paid a lot more for them. And, and uh I guess once you start getting money in your hand, you realize like, hey, maybe this can go somewhere. <laughs> right. And so then Ella really got involved in it. And she started um, 
being little and she was in kindergarten and first grade at that time. And so she started like marketing to her friends and bringing cookies into class. And then um, we had a, a connection who had um, knew it's always who, you know, and someone knew someone who knew Rachel Ray. And so before we knew it, like we had a little um, tiny little paragraph about the cookie company and Rachel Ray's magazine. Nice. And, and then every time I made an Olympic team, all the, the NBC correspondence guys, everyone's always looking for like that niche story yeah. aside from, from athletics, what's unique about you. And so they would always call and like every Olympics, they, they wanted to do something about the Olympic or about the cookies. And so like the LA times did like a front page article at one point on the cookies and and are you trying to like, pitch them other stories? Or are they? Are you getting? Yeah, no. I was. I was like, you know, I have other things. Like, I'm single. <laughs> you can put in there that I'm single and and looking and and uh, and they were like, no, no, no. The cookies. The cookies and your daughter. That's a really cute story. We're gonna go with that. And I was like, gosh darn it. Um, but it um, eventually I all of a sudden like people started buying them and it wasn't a situation that we were making a killing by any means. You're making like, I don't know, a couple grand a year, mm -hmm. but that couple grand all of a sudden paid for Ella's plane ticket to like Beijing, China, and then the hotel awesome. and covered all. So literally like every international team I made, um, well, Ella's coming with, and it really was free for me because we would just, the cookies were just kind of like a side hobby. And, and then people were telling me like, don't, don't go to PA school just do the cookies. Like we can get angel investors and you can, you can make a killing at this. And I was like, mm, no, I'd rather just have it as a hobby, please. I don't want to go into cookies. So you're completely out. Do you ever bake? Or no, you no, no, I, I make them. I, I still make them because when I got into through, I made them through. So the first 16 months of PA school was complete hell. We took 101 college credits in 16 months. Jeez. Um, we were in class eight hours a day. You'd study. This is not exaggerating. You would study. I would study four to five hours in the evening every night. And then weekends, you'd study 12 hours a day, usually. And then you test twice a week. And if you fail certain tests, you can fail out of the course on and on. So I would bring, I would make cookies because I found it relaxed me just kind of like then during the divorce, like it gets me away from what's happening in life and I can just focus on food and food's always good. So right. I, uh, I would make cookies and bring them in to, to my classmates and then the instructors. And then when I got into clinical rotations, everyone always told me like, Hey, your nurses are your front line. If you can keep your nurses happy, they will cover for you. They will take care of things. They will adjust meds. If you screw it up, they will. And so I just made it a point. Every new rotation I started, I'd bring in tons of cookies. Yeah. And, and then the nurses were like, Hey. And so it started to precede, like I get to the next rotation and the nurse would come up to me and she'd be like, so when are we getting cookies? And I was like, gotcha. But the nurses, I, the I wouldn't say like, now. yeah, the nurses, it's not that they loved me, but it was, I was always friendly and tried to be kind and, and it paid off because they would, um, they'd go out of their way and, and I'd have a tough preceptor, someone who liked to yell at you or make you feel bad. And the nurses would pull you aside and they go, listen, Make sure you answer with this answer. Say this, do this. He likes when this happens. Oh, and so nice. I was always getting the inside. And so cookies, cookies kind of bought my way into the nurses through school. And so it's now so I amazing. still like, even at the clinic, I still make cookies and take them. And 
What's home run? If you go, I got to deliver a hundred percent home run. What flavor are we getting? The one that seems to be the, the go-to there's a, I guess my version of a black and white, it's a dark chocolate with white chocolate. And then there's black and white, um, uh, chocolate drizzled on the top of it. Come on with it. Come on now. I can, I, I'll send you some, <laughs> I'll, I'll send you some. That's all too easy. Any of them did you make no. and you go, Oh, that was trash. Um, I'm trying to think any bad there flavors were, there were some that were I, and we haven't messed around with flavors a lot recently but um there were some that we didn't think were going to be good that turned out okay but others i'm trying to think what they were i don't even remember so you've had a but good record one or two. yeah there was one ella and and part of it helped that ella was so little like a, a little kid's mind has no boundaries and so you can ask them a question and they can think so far outside the box because they haven't been conditioned to stay in a box. And so right. I asked her, I was like, let's make a movie cookie. I was like, no chewy things. We got to take all the chewy things out. But what do you what, what do you want? What do we have in the movies? And she was like, OK. And so we went with popcorn, Whoppers, Reese's Pieces and toffee bits in the cookies. And yeah, I put that in and I was like, no way is this going to be good. And then we ate it, and I, I gave it to a couple other people, and they were like, this is absolutely amazing. This is So we called it, let's go to the movies. Yeah! And, uh, and Ella would, like, she'd go cart them around and give them to all her friends. And it was, well, yeah, the cookies, the cookies were fun. And I always thought it would be fun now as a PA, like I have a little bit of extra income. It would always be fun to get a food truck and just have it yes. as a hobby. Because then I don't have to worry about, like, being in the green every time and 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 or being in the black and and making profit i can do it just for fun and have it be a hobby what's the name so, you've clearly thought of a name if you've thought I, of a I, food I, truck. Um, there's one i thought that would be kind of <laughs> cool um i could call it best friends and it's the whole milk and cookies yeah and, uh, i put those on or um what was it there was one other one <clears throat> pardon me I can't think of what the other one was. I thought was, you were going to do Olympic but... tie-in, gold medal cookies or something like yeah, that. Yeah, cool. I could do gold medal. But I'm so <laughs> jaded about the Olympics. Part of me. They would probably want a cut of it. Oh, the way yeah. They so you can't use that. You can't use that. like, no. No, you're not taking a cut. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We're about to get to the countdown. Well, I must say, if anybody listens to this, they know I love mashed potatoes. I'm the million tater man. So if you ever come out, if you ever figure out how to get mashed potatoes in a cookie, do it. Work on it. All right. Any kind of potatoes. I get your brain working already. Wait, wait. Have you have you had crispy crowns? Crispy crowns. So tater tots. Like I really like tater okay. tots. Love tater tots. And, yeah. and they um, I was it Orida. You can go get them in the freezer section. They're basically just the ends of tater tots, so they're crispier. Just the tiny, like super crispy parts. Yeah, they have a uh, they they they're like look like little discs, but um they crisp up a lot better than all the tater tots. I don't know. Mm. Give them, a, give them a try. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. Give them a try. Crispy. All right, tons. we're gonna go to the countdown in one okay. second. In ten questions, I ask everybody, but I just gotta I gotta double check because you made my mate my brain think of it. You said earlier. You need to do the right things on the track when you join the army. And that included, you quote said, no fighting on the track. Are there fights <laughs> on the track? No. 
Now no, just imagine, no. like, get out of my way, and now y'all are fighting like um, a NASCAR race. Well, there's some – every so often there's weird stuff. Like, you get in a tight pack, and someone will cut someone off. Someone can throw a bottle at someone else. Um, I haven't seen actual fist fights in race walking. I have seen them in running, though, where guys cut them off, and someone yeah. will just look. And you can find them on YouTube. The dude will just look at the other guy and just throw a punch. <laughs> and so you – so if I ever threw a punch – in a race, I could probably expect to be removed from the program. That's that's probably pretty fair. That's a standing so, rule, kind of like peeing blood. Yeah. You put it another standing yeah, rule. Yeah, 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 yeah. Standing track. rule. You punch someone, you're out. So. All right, let's get to these questions. Ten questions that I ask everybody. The countdown. Uh, we're going to start with ten. Name something that's a perfect ten in your life. Um, I'm gonna have to go with my daughter Ella. That's good. Perfect ten. I well, enjoy her. Married people say wife and non-married yeah. people usually say kids. I knew it was coming. Number yeah. nine. Uh, nine is the German word for no. So name something that's no more in your life. Something you want to write off. Uh, and that could be literally anything. I'm going to say world hunger. Okay. Sounds crazy, but with the amount of, of resources that are available, it's it's so surprising to me that there are people who who starve to death daily in this world. And it just seems a little astronomical. And partly probably because I just enjoy food so much. That I was about to say, you need to give cookies to all of them. When that's what we need I know, to do. Yeah, yeah then they'd get Crazy. diabetes, but they'd still be alive. So <laughs> we'd, be, we'd be okay. <laughs> I mean, they're alive, but we got a lot of problems we've got to talk about. All right. Yeah. Number, number eight. Uh, number eight. What do you want your last meal to be? What's the last thing you ate when you go so, out? Now you can mix and match. I tell everybody you could do, Hey, I want this from this restaurant, this from this restaurant, this front from my grandma piece this together. What's your ultimate last meal? So I've actually thought about this before. Okay. There's a, there's a, I'll tell you real quick. Like you've thought great, of everything. If you walk I all have, this much. Well, yeah, because you're walking and like, I would think uh, I would get through like 45 minutes of it. Just thinking if I won like the mega millions, how would I spend this money? And like 45 <laughs> really? minutes later, I'm like done with the workout. I was like, Oh, of course I've never won the lottery, so it'll never come. <laughs> but, but there's a book called last supper. And there was a, a, a journalist who interviewed 50 of the top chefs in the world. And she said, you're going to die in your sleep tonight's your last supper. What do you eat? And okay. it's a fascinating book because these are like world-renowned chefs for what all they get. And some of them get real real high-end and others are just like, give me an In-N-Out burger and Krispy yeah. Kreme and stuff. But, nice. um, I'm a huge fan of mussels. I love mussels with, with a broth. Okay. With that broth. So what I would ask for would be uh, a bowl of mussels, fresh, like piping hot, and then um, a fresh sourdough baguette with Kerrygold butter and okay. i could tear the that's baguette the fancy stuff that's that fancy butter oh that butter tastes so good <laughs> put that on that baguette dip it in that that the the juice from the mussels man is it from a Perfect. certain place are you making it or no what? no no, no, no. It don't matter. I, it just bring to, it yeah yeah just bring it dessert bring it. i um that bread and butter i think would be is your dessert I really like dessert. I have a total sweet tooth. Maybe one of my cookies. There, we Your can own say cookies. that. Yeah, go out. All yeah. right. Uh, I'll have a cookie on my way out. What are you drinking with it? Uh, I'm a huge fan of soda water. Sounds so dumb. Just but straight I up think, soda water. 
I drink soda water constantly. And I think it's because like, I like the idea of thinking I'm drinking soda, but without the calories or the sugar. Like the LaCroix stuff? Yeah. Like here, I don't know if you can, I can show you. (laughs) Let me flip this around. Like by my bed, I have a whole case. Yeah. Costco soda water that I. You feel like you're cheating. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I like I, it. I like soda water. It's good. All right. Number seven, when you're seven years old, what do you want to be when you grew up? Um, I actually wanted to be an astronaut. Yeah. Yeah. I want to be an astronaut. We're in Huntsville. We just got Space Force, man. We got everything. So, so here's what I'm actually doing is um, this was a running joke in PA school because I had talked about it. And all the other, all my classmates were like, you are way too old. And I was like, okay, well, every year the army has an application process for astronauts and it starts in March. So I, uh, I fully plan on putting together a packet and submitting it this March and I'll let them tell me, no, they'll be like, no, you're way too old, but that's at least fine. It's official then. Yeah. At least I'll be like, you guys were right. But if, if they say yes, then I can turn and, and just make this awesome video and be like, suck it to all my classmates. <laughs> like someone's going to space it's not you now we got out of this world cookies is now the new yeah thing. yes i need to do that. <laughs> you need to be the first astronaut to bake cookies on the space station that'll be awesome if you don't yeah. work out come to huntsville we got space camp here you can do this perfect underwater did... astronaut trainer bring the daughter yes. come on all right get you I'm, on the I'm thing gonna... that makes you throw up since you're used to that yes i know all too well perfect <laughs> i'm in I'm in. <laughs> All right. Uh, astronaut first, second place, Huntsville, Alabama. That's your that's your silver okay. for this race. Those, those are my goals. I like it. All right. Six. Like How do you want to end up six feet under? How do you want to go? Uh in my sleep. Just peacefully gone. Yeah. I don't wanna I don't care to go out with a bang. I would love <laughs> to just go to bed one night and just not wake up. <laughs> It'd be great. Stay off the five hour energy. Yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. Five, five finger discount. What's the last thing you stole? Um, last night. Oh, I had. Uh, it's not as big as what you think. So we have we have to do the COVID tracker and stuff here at Fort Irwin, okay. and I had to do some memos because I had some soldiers going into quarantine, and uh, and I stole a pen off of one of the nurses' desks. Mm. So because I needed to fill out the memos to right get here them in the, the middle of pandemic. Yeah, stealing. Do you you steal from hotel rooms? You've been to a lot of hotel rooms. Um, I I guess this is the no again. There have been times like I'll work out and my clothes will be soaked and I'll have to check out and I'll be like, man, I'm not going to let like smelly, awful clothes. I'm not putting them in my bag and I'm not going to like hang them in my vehicle while I drive. So I roll them up in a hotel towel and then just stick them in my bag. Look at that move. So your towel collection is strong. No, 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 no. I stay at, I try to stay at the same chain. I won't name the chain because I don't want them to put me on their, their do not stay <laughs> list for stealing their towels. But I just, I just happen to relocate it to the next hotel. No, you don't. The next time I go, I have a no, couple of times. No, you do not. I have a couple of times. <laughs> Come and on! To be, 
to be fair, I have a couple of their towels still here. <laughs> I, when you started saying what you were saying, I thought you were going to say you put them in a pillowcase. So towel is way less yeah. than what I would have went with. <laughs> no, I roll them up in a towel because I need that, like the sweat and the water to be absorbed. To the pillowcase up. isn't going to absorb it. Yeah. All right. That's a good call. That's a good call. All right. Number four. Uh, this might be interesting with you since you are an athlete. Do you even know what a little Debbie is? I do. I grew okay. up on them. All right. All right. So I ask everybody that's a, mashed potatoes and little Debbie's are the two things we talk about here. Mm. Little okay. Debbie's Mount Rushmore. Give me your top four Mount Rushmore of little Debbie's. All right. So we'll go with, with number four would be the red velvet or that velvet cake. Okay. A little Debbie. Um, number three would be the uh, their cupcake with the cream in the center of it. All right, nice. Two would be the oatmeal pie. OG, okay. And and I am number one by far. I'm a huge fan of the fudge rounds. Fudge I, rounds. Have you had those? Oh, love the fudge rounds. Okay, it's, okay. it's a rare number one appearance on these. Uh, is it really? It is. Is it on? It's on some top fours, uh, but it's not. It, you might, I'll have to go think about it. You might be first number one. And you said by far. Oh, by far. I love that. Like anytime when I was, I haven't had a lot of little Debbie's recently, but <laughs> yeah. growing up, like in middle school and high school, anytime I got the chance to get fudge rounds, I'd be dragging the box to the cart for my mom and being like, can we please have these? Did you do anything yeah. fancy with them? Freeze them, heat them, anything? Or just no, starve? I think I was, I was too, uh, I was too, too uh too virgin in my culinary abilities at that just point just inhale just inhale <laughs> man they were good let's just get a fudge round in my body I don't, yeah, everything's yeah. a race with you you gotta finish. Put, put it in my mouth i want it <laughs> all right number three three albums on a deserted island and so i preface this by everybody you aren't saying because this is how you start arguments go these are the greatest albums ever these are just three albums you could listen to nonstop on repeat for the rest of your life. So you could go a live so, album. You could go greatest hits. You can go a lot so of ways. Albums are tough for me. I, I can give you artists. Does that work? Okay. All right, if you can do an say, album, all right, go ahead. Yeah, I would say, I would say number one would be train. I really okay. like train. This number is two. Right in with walking and baking. Now you got, you got train. It is. <laughs> number two I know it sounds dumb, but for some reason, for years, they started to get big a little bit. But for years, every time I bake or cook, I always tell Alexa to play AJR. Okay. So yeah, they are just now starting to get popular. I don't know why, but for years, I've listened to AJR. And then three, if I'm stuck on an island, I would want the, now that's what I call music collection. <laughs> okay. Pop jams to get you through right? everything. Yes, for, is there a certain that. year? Twenty-seven, fourteen. It probably. Uh, I don't know what year. This is how I know you listen to a lot of them because you can almost tell me what year. That means you listen to a lot. Yeah, of them. It, it would be the the late nineties. What was that? They only came out, but yeah, probably like periods five through ten. <laughs> All right, I got now that's. Probably. I'm gonna look it up. Oh yeah. Oh, they're up to 77, bro. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're way ahead. This is out of control now. Now that's yeah. what I call hits. Others, oh, oh, they even got one now 100 forgotten 90s hits. It's it's spread out now. It's too <laughs> it's much. It's ridiculous. So you're gonna go, Agreed. you're gonna go on now. That's what I call hits there. Yeah, that works. 
right, we can handle that. We can handle that. Okay. All right, number <laughs> number two. Um, I want to know first and last concert you went to. So your first concert you ever went to. First concert, I was in high school. It was a free concert. We went to Cincinnati uh, Goo Goo Dolls. Strong. So that great, was with parents or that was your first one where you went, I'm out? By, my, by myself. Yeah. Went, grabbed, a, grabbed a friend and we drove to Cincinnati and, and watched Goo Goo Dolls play. All right. And this is going to date me as far as for how long it's been since I've been to last like real concert. Well, you've had some Part- things going on. Yeah. The last in-person concert was One Direction in the Rose Bowl with my daughter. And they're now broken up. That's a strong uh, concert. Yeah. Yeah. But Ella was so little. And I remember we drove, we got back home and I laid her in bed and she's like, Daddy, why are my ears ringing? Like she could not, it was the first (laughs) concert she ever got to and she couldn't understand. And she's like, why do I feel so horrible? And I was like, that feeling is what people who drink feel like. So don't ever drink. <laughs> and she was like, okay. And then just like passed out. Who's your favorite? Like, now, Liam, Louie, Zane? I don't, I don't Harry? have favorites. I literally went Come on. my daughter. I, don't, I will say that I like Harry's music now as a, yeah. As an individualist, I think his stuff is... is I ain't ashamed. I got a crush on Harry. It's, it's pretty good, yeah. I got a crush on yeah. Harry. Right. Number one, be interested to see if you're a fan. I always ask if you could be a wrestler, old or new. Who would you be? And then we'll, we'll add on if you are a wrestling fan and give me a tag team partner. Ooh. So I grew up with wrestling with the old wwf i had the mm-hmm. ring i had the the must the i had the the guys the figurines yeah um i was always a fan of good old jyd junkyard dog yeah okay i i thought it was amazing that this dude one lived in a junkyard <laughs> and wore a chain a big chain around his neck the chain set he, it off that he would come out and just go to town with people on and i was and like he's barking he's good. crawling around yeah. And then his, I know his tag team partner at times, wasn't it? Was it Hillbilly Jim? Uh, I'm that? sure they tagged. Yeah, they tagged. Yeah, I, I, I enjoyed Hillbilly. I don't know what I liked about like the redneck like <laughs> ways, but I just thought we're they charming. were charming. We're charming. So, <laughs> we're charming. They were so unique and cool. I just thought it was <laughs> awesome. This dude lived in a junkyard. How do you live in a junkyard? How awesome is that? This is all going to be explained oh. when you finally visit Huntsville. I just, I all this will be perfect. open up. I'll take you to I'll the people like, that live in the junkyard. Good. I'll be like, I found home. I'll take home you all the hillbilly gyms I know. We're going to handle all this. You're going to be an astronaut. And we're going to feed I you like little Debbies and fried food. That's and just per- eat cookies the whole time. That's perfect. I'm in. 100%. <laughs> well, man, I should uh, just want to say one. Thank you for a lot of things thank you for your sir our, your service to our country thank you for representing our country uh staff sergeant right well now i'm a i'm a first lieutenant because now i'm a pa in the army okay so i'm a i'm an officer with uh the uh 11th cavalry regiment uh acr here Are you big on social media do you want to give it out or no you keep it for i am yeah i mean family. i have no 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 i have i have uh insta instagram i use more than anything it's uh at John Nunn 78 and then uh Twitter is Johnny Walker 04. Oh and nice. uh and Facebook I don't Facebook is just John Nunn. 
you can find me. Do, I'm ver- they verified all the Olympians, so I have a little check mark next to it. Oh, I'm which, jelly. Which yeah, which makes everyone so now like all my my daughter's little friends all follow me and want me to follow them. Because you got a blue want, check mark. Want, and I was like, no, I'm not following your friends. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> You're 16. This is weird. I am gonna follow you though. I do need more verified yeah, yeah, friends, John. I need I'll, this. I'll follow you back. Don't worry. <laughs> I need this in my life. Yeah. Wait, what was the Instagram? That's the one you use. What was it again? Instagram, uh, John Nun seventy eight. Okay, did, John Nun seventy eight. Weird, stupid question. Did you ever have a Walkman? No, but I not on Instagram. The only closest no, one no. was Twitter, where I did John. No, Nun. did you ever? Oh, have yeah, a yeah, 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 yeah. No, um, I did long before I ever race walked. Really? I did growing up as a kid. Yeah, with the cassettes and using right. the pencil to fix the ribbon. And did you ever have a nickname? Uh, oh, in college, they gave me a nickname, Freddie Joe. And I was like, what the heck is this? And apparently, because I was in high school in Indiana and one of the Indianapolis Colts players, I think he was a lineman. He was this big black dude and his name was Freddie Joe Nunn. And so they were like, oh, well, now you're Freddie Joe because you're from Indiana. And I was like, that is that is the dumbest linear line that you just drew for a nickname. Like, there's so, the same last what? name in, in Indiana. I have the same last name and he plays for the Colts. I don't even think the dude was from Indiana. Are there people but, that still call you Freddie Joe? There is. There's one. I have one one <laughs> high school friend like he'll. Every time he calls, he's like, what's up, Freddie Joe? And every time I'm like, yo, you are the only one who has ever continued to call me that. I had, when I was a freshman, I I decided to make the leap from glasses to contacts. And I played football. And so I had to get these sports goggles. And so I tried to like the, I don't know if you remember, I call them the Steve Sabo back in the day, the baseball player. And I just didn't like them. They didn't fit good. So I found these black rimmed ones. And I wore those. I was like, oh, these are the jam. I'm going to, I'm going to kill these out on the field. <laughs> so I'm a freshman and I go running out on the football field and the senior goes, Hey, look, it's fat buddy Holly. And I'm like, what? <laughs> and they're like, yeah, he's buddy Holly. And I'm like, no, 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 that's not going to be my nickname, buddy Holly. And they're like, yeah. And so I have like a handful of dudes this day that'll call and they go, so buddy, they're not saying buddy, but it's buddy. Holly. <laughs> I can just, I envision you running out. <laughs> And as soon as they call the name, you just keep running this this circle and just running right back inside. Be like, no, no. You forget I'm walking. You forget I'm walking. Or you're walking. <laughs> yeah, but they're like, it's Buddy. I'm like, who's Buddy? This is going to be awesome. Who's Buddy? What are you talking about? Yeah. And then, of course, if a senior gives it to you, you're stuck. It's over. And yeah. now you got four years with it. <laughs> it's game over. I got rid of I got rid of the goggles that still didn't go. You know me. I'm like, uh, I can't ever wear these again. My dad's like, we paid $150. You're gonna wear them to your 50. <laughs> I can't wear them ever again. All right, my man. Thank Brutal. you. Thank you. I know you're busy. I appreciate you sharing nice, the story. Good. It's fascinating to me. It's fascinating to me. Well, thanks. I appreciate it. It's been fun. Are you gonna yeah, end up sorry. being a, a mall walker and be like, these kids don't even know? I, I, the possibilities there, I do have a coach who used to go to the mall in New Jersey and walk in the winter and they actually kicked him out. They, they were like, they stopped him security because they would open the malls in the Northeast in early mornings for the older people to go yeah. in and walk. Yeah. And, um, and he went in to train because it was so cold and icy. Oh, outside. Indoors. 
And, and so he was training and security stopped him and they kicked him out. And their words were, you are going to hurt someone. You're going too fast. You need to leave. And he was like, wait, wait, wait. you're kicking me out of the mall for walking. I just want, I just want you to tell me verbally, yes, I'm kicking you out of the mall for walking too fast. And he was like, okay, I'll leave. That's a new one. That's definitely yeah. a new one. Like, Dude, I straight up got kicked out of the mall for walking too fast. Does the does the daughter appreciate the Olympics? She does. She had she got uh, she was a six months old when we went to Athens, and then uh, London. She remembers and had a great time. And then uh, Rio, she had an absolute blast because uh, one of her friends and their dad, her dad, her friend's dad, took uh, took her and her best friend down oh, nice. and met up with me. So she has great memories. And, and then she's also gotten to, I think she, I mean, she's 16 and she's been to 16 different countries. Wow. And so she's, she's, it's neat watching her interact with, with other people her age and being compassionate for them. And I think she's picked that up from realizing America isn't the only place in the world. And, right. and there's other people that, that are, have good qualities about them. And just because they're from somewhere else doesn't mean that they're a bad person or that, we make fun of them. And so it's been fun to watch her kind of grow up and see. The lesson we can all can learn. Yeah, I think so. I think so. Well, thank you, my man. Again, I appreciate it. I appreciate Definitely. everything. Absolutely a blast. Had a fun time. Yeah. Yeah, totally. John Nunn, everybody. Adios. <laughs>